Good morning, everyone. I'm actually going live a few minutes early today, but no, no worries. We won't start till uh, till eleven o'clock. I'm just trying to get everything uh, set. I actually was running late the last couple of weeks, so I wanted to get in on it early today and make sure that I get everything right. So I'm hoping, hoping to be able to see this. Yes, good. I can see it online. I'm going to try and follow your comments a little better on on my laptop. So I needed to start early, just a minute or two. And hopefully I'll be able to see them all as they come on. But uh, give you time to go get your coffee. We'll start here in just a couple of minutes. Good morning, Dennis. I'm so glad to see you joining us today on this kind of cloudy, rainy day. These are actually my favorite kind of days. I love rainy days, but I uh, don't know why. Just always have. But uh, really glad you're joining us today, Dennis. So just started a couple minutes early just to kind of get... I've actually got the laptop set up so that I can hopefully follow everybody's comments a little better and... Uh, I'm hoping that works. You know, it's supposed you're supposed to be able to see it on the laptop because it's just difficult to follow the comments on the phone. And I really want people to be able to engage and ask questions and make comments, you know, like we used to be able to do when we were in classroom together. Uh those were fun times. Miss those times. But uh but uh, hey, this is this has also extended the ministry by an incredible amount. Uh people all over uh, the world are watching and engaging in this uh, type of Bible study. So that's pretty exciting to me. Something we couldn't do when we were just uh, meeting in the room at the church. But I know that others will be coming along here. It's just 1059. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4. So you got plenty of time to grab a cup of coffee and, and get ready. I hope your day's going well, Dennis, and your whole week. Good morning, Dwayne. Thanks for joining in. Good to see you on here today. I don't know why I'm not seeing those those uh, joining me on the uh, on the laptop. I'm really wanting to be able to engage in comments on the laptop, but for some reason I can see the live broadcast, but it's not popping up to show me who's joined like it is on the phone. But somebody, if you, Dwayne or or uh, hey, there's Cecil, brother Cecil. Good to see you today. Uh, if you one of you want to make a comment, like say hello or something, just to see if it'll pop up on my laptop because it's so much easier to read on my laptop, but I'm not getting it on my laptop for some reason. So pop a comment in there, one of you, if you would, please, and we'll be starting in just a minute here. Hope you have, hope you have your coffee this morning or your beverage of choice. I have mine here. Uh, I am drinking this morning Pete's coffee in my Starbucks cup. That's kind of sacrilegious, isn't it? Pete's has their own chain of stores around the country. Uh, and, and I love Starbucks. Of course, that's the big chain that we have here in uh, in Wichita. And I, I'm a big Starbucks fan, been a Starbucks mem gold member a long time, love drinking it. But Pete's Coffee is pretty special. They have never been to one of their stores, but they are pretty special. They actually have a uh, dark roast decaf as their house blend. You can buy them in the K-Cups. Man, you get, you got everything working for me there. Dark roast, I love dark roast. Decaf, which I'm really supposed to drink, and it's just easy to get in a K cup. So it's really good if you haven't tried it. And and I'm sure that the the regular caffeinated version would be even better. But they they do some amazing things with decaf these days. 
So, salud. I'm enjoying a little coffee. Hope you are too. It is 11.01. I want to to invite you to open your Bibles today uh, to Luke chapter 4. We're going to begin looking at the ministry of Jesus today. Uh, Say hello to those of you who are watching, and I know I want to say hello to all of those who will be watching later. I actually have heard from a lot of people this has been a, a great thing for them to be able to, since it's recorded, to be able to come back and watch it later. Uh, and that's important, and to be able to kind of take notes. And, and I want you to remind you that you can engage even later on these video uh, broadcasts. You can still ask a question. The file's always open. You can, uh, the thread is always open. Just ask a question, make a comment. I, I love your questions. And anytime somebody has a thought, or perhaps a, you know, a, a real question, we can engage and study together that way. So uh, I want to thank you whether you're watching today live or whether you're going to be watching later on and uh, studying with us. This Bible study is about really getting deep into the Word of God. I've been doing this study now for, I want to say, six years. Um, good morning, Dennis. Finally got to the comments. Very good. Well, I, that That is good to see, but you know what? Thanks for testing it out, buddy. It didn't work on my laptop. I wonder why I don't see the comments on my laptop. be a lot easier if I could see them there, because when I look up to the phone, it's just the right distance from my trifocals that I can't read. It's real blurry, so I have to kind of go up like this, and that looks stupid, so, you know, just really kind of look like this just to read it, but, but if I do this, but it's really clear. But anyway, um, the distance just isn't quite right with the camera and everything. But that's okay. That's a minor point. Uh, thanks for joining in. Um, six years we've been running this Bible study. It'll be six years in August, actually. We started in August of 2014 with the Gospel of Mark. And not all of it is on the podcast. I apologize for that. A few years ago, I switched podcast hosts and lost a bunch of stuff. Good news is I have it on my computer Bad news is I don't have the time to upload it all. I guess I should pay somebody to just sit down and upload it all for me, re-upload it. Because there's a lot of stuff that the whole Gospel of Mark is on is uh, was done in the podcast. The podcast series was called Forming the Spirit Within, and you can catch it there on on that website, formingthespiritwithin.org. You can also catch it at bradreillyministries.org, where you can click on podcast, take you right to it. It's hosted by Podbean. So if you want to, whatever your favorite podcast player is, you can download these episodes, listen to them in the car while you're driving, just engage in in some Bible study, because I did this, well, a little bit selfishly, because I knew I wanted to just get into deep verse-by-verse study of the gospel using the Greek, using the best of the ancient Christian commentators from the early centuries of the Christian faith, and using some commentators from from our recent uh, times, more modern times. But the truth is, I care deeply what it meant to those who first heard it. And we all should. But over 2,000 years, not all Bible scholars have versed themselves in the ancient Christian fathers and the early Christian commentators. And so we need to see how those line up and and where they are because they were the closest to, you know, the the science of, of textual criticism in determining biblical interpretation, says that the, the more extant copies you have of, of a text and the, cl- the older or the closer those texts are to the original time period, the more reliable they are. 
So therefore, I think the teachings of the early church, the, the earliest, I mean, we know that the apostles passed on their ministry to people like Ignatius. Uh, he was a disciple of John uh, in, in the area of the we, modern day of what we would call Turkey. I mean, that's just, I mean, he learned it from John. Polycarp learned it from John. Uh, some of these ancient fathers. And so we know the faith was passed on. You know, it was once delivered to the saints, but passed on. And, and we want to hear it uh, from its, as close to its original source as we can. Because a, the New Testament itself wasn't actually compiled into a, a canon or a list that could be available to study for a few hundred years. I mean, it was the late 300s when it was officially said, okay, here's the New Testament. Uh, 27 books. So in those earliest years of the Christian faith, it was passed on verbally and written by these ancient church fathers. So lots to lots to learn. Joan, thanks for joining in today. Luke chapter 4, uh, if you've got your coffee and your beverage and you're ready, let's jump in today and let's begin with our prayer before the study of scripture. So if you have your prayer card or look it up in the photos section there on the page, the ancient prayer of St. John Chrysostom. Let's read it together. Illumine our hearts, O master lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father who is from everlasting and the all-holy good and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. The one thing I still miss is hearing your voices in unison as we would pray that prayer like we did in the classrooms at the church. That, that, I, I will always miss that. I love the sound of voices praying in unison. That's, it's just a powerful, powerful. Okay, Luke chapter 4, part 2, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is called the Galilean springtime by many uh, commentators. It just springtime is a time of renewal. It's a time of new birth and everything's turning green and blossoming and blooming. And, and, and so Jesus' ministry is blossoming now after his temptation in the desert that we read about in part one. So let's look at the text. We're going to look at a fairly lengthy text uh, that's all one section. And uh, it starts with verse 14. So I'm going to begin in verse 14. We're going to read down through verse 30. So hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and a report concerning him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and he went to the synagogue, as his custom was, on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and there was given to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. End quote. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Well, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here also in your own country. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own country. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three months, three years and six months, and when there came a great famine all over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and they put him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of a hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down headlong. But passing through the midst of them, he went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for joining in today. Let's, let's begin with just a little bit of geography, okay? Jesus, it tells us in Luke's gospel, returned after his desert temptation to begin his ministry in Galilee. We learn from John's Gospel that Jesus' first miracle was in Cana, at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, a city in Galilee. So where's Galilee? Galilee? Galilee is the northern part of Israel, and a region all around what's called the Sea of Galilee by many. It's also called the Lake of Gennesaret on many maps. But Galilee is an area about 50 miles by 20 miles in circumference. The word Galilee actually means in the old Hebrew language, Galil, it means circle. And so it's kind of a circular part of the, the country, kind of a graphic region, geographic region, that is uh, made up of 204 different towns or villages at, at Jesus' time. 204 villages. And these villages had a minimum of 15,000 people in them. Now, we get a lot of this data from uh, extra-biblical sources, historians, uh, particularly from Josephus, the famous Jewish historian uh, of the late first uh, century and early second century, I think. So Josephus writes a lot of these details for us. So if we do the math, there are, it's very possible, probable, that in Galilee there were three million people living. And that's where Jesus chose to begin his ministry. That's exciting. And so why did he go to Galilee? What is it about Galilee? Well, it's, as I said, it was a circle. It's surrounded by a lot of... It's, in fact, it's completely surrounded by, at that time, pagans or people that weren't Jews. 
foreign territories on all, all around. It also was, a, there was a convergence at Nazareth, actually. There was a convergence of three roads, one coming up from Egypt, one coming from Arabia in the east, in the eastern areas, and one going off towards uh, the Mediterranean. These three main roads were main roads of commerce. So Nazareth was one of the larger towns around there, but it was not it was not a uh, particularly beloved city. It wasn't a particularly beautiful city. It was known, you know, as, as is said in, in the Gospels later, it says, can anything good come from Nazareth? When people are just kind of uh, talking about, uh, I think it was uh, the, the disciples Jesus was calling, and one looks at him, he says, I found the Messiah, you know, and the other one says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Because Nazareth was just a, it was just a place where lots of, Lots of stuff happened. Lots of foreigners were around and coming through. But that's also the hometown of Jesus. This is where, although born in Bethlehem, he grows up in Nazareth. This is the home of Mary and Joseph, the hometown. And so when Jesus chooses to go begin his ministry in the area of Galilee, he knows that he is going to eventually minister in his own hometown. Now, he doesn't start in his hometown of Nazareth because we know the first miracle was done in Cana of Galilee. And as we're reading through this text today, we hear in the very first couple of verses, and the very first verse in verse 14, it told us that, uh, that a report concerning him went all throughout the surrounding countryside. Well, that report was that there had been miracles done. There were incredible teachings and miracles. Miracles catch people's attention pretty fast. And so by the time he gets to Nazareth, we don't know exactly what time this is, but it's early in the ministry. And he, he's even been to Capernaum, we know, already, because that's in the discourse when Jesus is saying, you know, doubtless you will say to me, uh, you know, uh, we have heard you did, a, did at Capernaum, do it here also. So he's already been to Capernaum, which we know was where Peter lived. And there's a great synagogue there. These are just wonderful places to visit if, if you're in Israel. It just it makes the Bible just come to life. And, uh, and, and so Capernaum, not too far away. Another one of those, it's, it's a fishing village. It's really close to the, you can, you can just literally walk down to the, it's built on the shore to the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth is kind of up in the hill country. It's not right on the sea like Capernaum is. So Nazareth is in the hill country, this whole area of the Sea of Galilee surrounded by hills. And the fascinating thing about Nazareth is that when Jesus was a boy, he could no doubt climb up into these hills, and even, even as a young man, climb up into these hills, and from these hills, he could look out across the plains and see, in the distance, the blue Mediterranean Sea. He could see the Valley of Jezreel, where Gideon uh, and uh, great stories that came to life of the Old Testament faith of Gideon and some of the judges like Deborah and Baruch and Elijah. He could see to Mount Carmel, where Elijah had that famous encounter with the, the uh, prophets uh, of Baal. Now, so all of his life, Jesus has grown up in this area and he's growing in the faith. It tells us in the scriptures in, when it says that he went into the synagogue, and this was verse uh, 16, it tells us, as was his custom. Jesus customarily always went to 
I'll just say he went to church. Okay, He went to synagogue. For us to relate to that, he went to church. Jesus didn't ignore in his upbringing. American Joseph made sure that he was brought up in the faith, in the community, which then was a synagogue. So what was a synagogue? A synagogue was a very important part of Judaism by this time. Now, originally, there, of course, there was only one temple, and that's in Jerusalem. And the temple is where the sacrifices are made. But the, the rabbinic tradition, the laws that they had added through time, said that wherever there were uh, at least ten families, ten Jewish families, there must be a synagogue planted. So a synagogue was a house for the teaching of scripture, and it became a, a center of learning and a center of community for the people. And this becomes very important as we study this passage, because they're used to, in synagogues, having services on Sabbath. So as Jesus goes into the Sabbath service, he's doing something very common, and what those services are generally made of three parts. One was prayers. The people would pray, and their prayers were generally, uh, these are liturgical prayers. These are actual prayers from the book of Psalms. Most of them. They just, the book of Psalms was the prayer book of, of God's people, and it, it still is and still should be. Uh, uh, the prayer book of God's church. So the Psalms, uh, of every range of emotion and every range of, of time, period in life, they cover so much. There's always something for the soul to be praying from the Psalms. And so they would have this prayer time that was usually, if not uh, in unison, much of it also chanted or sung because the Hebrew prayers were sung, much like we hear in like an Orthodox church today, which is the whole service is sung. Uh, Orthodox Christian, I mean, because there's Orthodox Jews, of course, too. But... Uh, but the, so the prayer time was a beautiful time of singing and chanting these beautiful prayers of Scripture mostly. Then there was a time of reading the law, the law and the prophets. So the Scriptures contained the law and the prophets, and there were usually about seven different people appointed to read seven different Scriptures covering the law and the prophets. Now, there was not at that time a specific lectionary like we have in the Christian church today. And we have lectionaries of, you know, reading of the Old Testament, reading of the New Testament, reading of Psalms, reading the gospel that, that form the faith throughout the Christian year based on the seasons like Advent and, and Lent and Easter and Pentecost. And, and so the story of God is told through those reading of scriptures uh, liturgically through the year through these lectionaries. They didn't have a lectionary at that time. So it was kind of random uh, the attendant would choose scriptures to be read. And what's fascinating, what's fascinating about this story with Jesus, think of the divine providence of God. As Jesus gets the scroll of Isaiah handed to him, and Isaiah, the very prophet who prophesies the Messiah, as they all do, but in a very poignant way, Isaiah has many things to say about about the, the person of the Messiah and how Jesus fulfills each of those. So as, we're, as the story's unfolding before us, remember in verse 15, he's in the synagogues. He's got a good reputation. It says they were all being glorified by all. It said at the end of verse 15. 
And then he steps into the synagogue this particular Sabbath, and everything changes. It's fascinating to think what Jesus, what must have been going through Jesus' mind as he's in the Sabbath synagogue service on this particular day. Think of all he's been through, the temptations, his baptism, the temptations in the deserts, the the miracle at the Cana of Galilee, and he knows coming home to Nazareth is really important because he knows that a prophet is never with never honored in his own home country. It just doesn't work that way. Didn't work that way for Elijah. Didn't work that way for Elisha. It's not going to work that way for him either. And, and the truth is, it, it doesn't work that way for us mostly either. And not, not even just a prophet. I certainly don't call myself a prophet. That's for sure. Excuse me as I take a drink. Ah, that Pete's coffee is really wonderful. Um, but you know, you can go 15 miles from your own hometown and you can be considered an expert because nobody knows you on whatever, the business, or that's true in ministry too. But there's something about being in your own hometown. You're just, you know, that's the, that kid grew up here. He's just that kid. He's just that guy. You know, you're not seen kind of as the expert that you maybe want to be in your profession or your ministry or whatever. So, few as a result of that, very few people end up minister in ministry, that is, in pastoral ministry, very few people end up ministering in their own hometowns. Jesus goes to that day knowing this is his synagogue. This is his home church. This is Nazareth. This is where he's always gone to synagogue. These are people that have watched him grow up. They know Mary and Joseph to be a wonderful, respectable family. They know Jesus to be a wonderful, respectable boy, now grown into a man. They watched him take care of his mother because his father's gone by then, Joseph. And and so these are people that are well acquainted with Jesus. And so he gets the prophet Isaiah handed to him. And it's not clear from the text. It, some commentators say he requested it, but I've looked at this text in several different places and I can't find that he actually asked for the, uh, the, the scroll of Isaiah. But anyway, again, it's not a book, it's a scroll. So it's a parchment of some sort of paper. And he's, he's got to unfold it, unroll it, and you can imagine, and he's going to read just these few verses from Isaiah chapter 61. And he's got to look for those. Imagine the tension building. This guy who they've heard did the miracle at Cana. This guy who they've heard did some miracles at Capernaum. This Jesus that they've already known. He, some wild things being said about him. There's, there's, you can almost feel the tension in the room as Jesus unfolds the scroll of Isaiah and he reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I, I, wouldn't you just love to heard Jesus reading this? Wow. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. I, I wonder if Jesus accented that word me. I would have. I don't know if he did. Uh, maybe he was more humble than that. But Well, of course he was more humble than that. But but I, I guess, yet he's, he is the fulfillment. So it's okay to get the point across, you know. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. 
Here's the gospel. Jesus is giving us the gospel, the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. To preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty all those who are oppressed. To proclaim, and finally the last verse, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So we see some amazing uh, claims being made here. I mean, they don't, they don't understand the word gospel. I mean, they know the word in the Greek, evangelium, which means good news. I mean, Jesus isn't saying, hey, here's the gospel you've all been missing. He's just saying, you know, here is the prophecy This was to be the life of the Messiah. This would be the Messiah's life work. Isaiah predicted it. He prophesied these things. Preaching the good news to the poor, to the release to the captives, sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed. And, And Isaiah culminates it by saying, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. So in other words, when Messiah came, everybody lived in that anticipation Messiah is coming someday. And there's we've talked about it before. There's a particular kind of a fever pitch in Israel about this time. About the Messiah coming. And when the Messiah would be unveiled, it would be the acceptable year of the Lord. Which means that all things would be made right. Made right. All these good things would happen to these poor people, hurting people. Because uh, in their mind, Messiah was going to come, overthrow the Romans... Israel would have its final place in the world uh, that it was that it quote deserved, and all things would be made right. So in this context, Jesus is reading this scripture. And what can you the providence of God that on that day, Jesus walked in, and was handed that scroll. And in his humanity, can't you just see Jesus reading this? And proclaiming his next words. This is what's amazing. His very next words. He closes the book, gives it back, the scroll, in other words, gives it back to the attendant. The attendant goes and puts it away. Every synagogue didn't have, here's another amazing thing. Every synagogue did not have every scroll of scripture. I mean, we had the five books, the the Pentateuch, the the law, and then the prophets. There's some wisdom literature, but there was no printing press. Every synagogue in the world didn't have every single copy of every single scripture. But God the Father knew that this synagogue in Nazareth had this copy of Isaiah, and Jesus was going to read it that day. And so he hands it back. That's the tradition. the, the, The attendant gets the scroll, brings it to the reader. The reader reads it. The reader gives it back, the attendant puts it back, and then he sits down. It says, Jesus sat down. Look me with verse verse 20. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Why are they fixed upon him? Well, in one respect, it's just out of respect for the person reading. But I think it's because the word of God being proclaimed by the Messiah himself It filled the room with the Spirit of God. Remember the opening words. It says, He came and returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He left that desert area in the... He left His baptism. He left the desert area in the power of the Spirit so that He could preach 
the gospel and to do these miracles. And so people, I think, have witnessed an amazing, something incredibly amazing. And Jesus tells them, as he sits down, he says to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Jesus just said, I'm the Messiah. And your word of God in Isaiah the prophet proclaims it. And I'm him and I'm going to fulfill all these things. Well, it tells us the people then look at him in verse 20. It says, all all spoke well of him. and, And they wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. So we know that Jesus' delivery, his delivery was gracious. You know, this is where I couldn't measure up to Jesus. You know, I told you a minute ago, I would probably be emphasizing that word me. You know, it's on me that this is fulfilled. But not Jesus. His words were gracious, but yet authoritative and powerful. It's going to tell us in the next section, we're, we're not quite there yet, but in, in the next section, it's going to talk about Jesus teaching with authority and what that means. But I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So they say to themselves, they begin to wonder, isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, this is that carpenter's son? Like he made that table for us once or that chair or what? I mean, how does he sound so eloquent? How does he sound so gracious? How does he sound so knowledgeable? How, do, how does he claim to be the Messiah? This is the type of things that are going through their minds. And, and so Jesus just knows what's in their minds, and he just tells them what's in their minds. He just puts it out on the table. Jesus says, no doubt, you're going to quote to me this proverb says, physician, heal thyself. What does that proverb mean? Physician, heal thyself. It means, look, you can heal others. Surely you can heal yourself. Why don't you do something here? Do something miraculous here. Show it to us. Prove it to us if you say you're the Messiah. That's what their hearts are saying. And that's what they're thinking. And Jesus knows it. And so he throws it out there. And then verses 24 through uh, 27, these three verses, Jesus is showing them how what they're about to do to him is the same thing they've always done to God's prophets. Jesus is basically predicting his own rejection by his own people, just like Elijah had been rejected, Elisha had been rejected, all the prophets of God in the Old Testament had been rejected and been killed. So it's it's a pretty dark history to be a prophet in Israel. Now, in that setting, Jesus looks at them and he says, And he said to them, truly I say to you, truly I say to you, verse 24, no prophet is acceptable in his own country. And we've mentioned that. And he's going to prove to them why that is. Because Elijah wasn't and Elisha wasn't. So he gives them some examples. He says, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months. So for Three years and six months, three and a half years, there had been a great famine in Israel. There were many, many widows. Elijah could have done the miracle that he did for them, but God sent him not to any widow in Israel. Where did he send her? To the widow of Zarephath, which is in Sidon, which is the north country, which today would be in Lebanon. Okay, To a foreign country, to a foreigner, a widow that's a foreigner, and there 
Elijah works his miracle for this beautiful widow. And uh, it, it's just a truly amazing story. And, and then he says, and that's not all. He said, you know, there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha, who followed Elijah's ministry. He was his prophet in training. Elisha, there are many lepers in Israel that could have been healed, but Elisha was sent to none of them. He was sent to where? To Naaman, who was from Syria, another northern country, of course, a major power of the day. And he was an, a general in the armies of Syria. And that's the wonderful story of how he was dipped in the Jordan River. And I don't have time to go into that, but it's a great story. Why does Jesus bring up these examples of the widow, Jesus being sent to the widow in Sidon and to the Naaman in Syria? Why does he bring that up? Because he's saying this has been the history of God's people. They've always rejected their prophets. They've always rejected the messages that had come to save them. And so in the midst of dark times, they weren't delivered. God delivered the foreigners instead. And, and Jesus is as much as saying to them here, you know, I'm going to go to the foreigner. You all are going to reject me, and I'm, I'm going to go to the foreigners. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Because that's always been, if you read the Old Testament carefully, there's so many places where it says that God's salvation is for everyone. But the Jewish people lost sight of that. They truly believed they were the only ones who were going to be saved when Messiah come. And so if you converted to become a Jew, great, you're saved. But if you weren't Jewish, you were not saved. That was the thinking of the people in that time. Now, what's their response when they hear this from Jesus? It's not good. It's not good at all. In fact, verse 28 tells us that when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with wrath. So we have turned from their, their uh, hearing him graciously, thinking good thoughts about him. And this is Jesus, that sweet little carpenter's son. And now he's grown into a great guy. Probably built some furniture for us. But, but now they've turned all of that aside to wrath because he has reminded them. He has said to them their own history. You have a history of turning away God's prophets and killing God's prophets, of rejecting truth when it's in your very midst. And you're going to do the same to me. And that's exactly what they do. They're filled with wrath, and in that wrath, they try to... It says they actually grab Jesus. It says they rose up and put him out of the city. So in some way or fashion, they were shoving, pushing, grabbing, taking him out of the city out of the synagogue, out of the city, up a hill. The same hilltop that Nazareth is built on where Jesus would have always been able to see the surrounding areas I talked about in the beginning of this broadcast. And as they get him up there, their, their intention, it just says right here, their intention, this is in verse uh, 30, 29, that they might throw him down headlong. In other words, there's probably about... There's probably a cliff there with about a 40-foot drop or so. And they are going to just throw him headlong down off this cliff, which would kill him for sure. That's their plan. But it's not the plan of God. And so it says, but passing through the midst of them, he went away. That's a fascinating thing that we hear over and over in the gospel. 
that, that somehow when people just think they have Jesus in their grasp, he slips away. It, it's very, really almost mystical. I believe it is mystical. There's no way physically that he could have gotten away from this mob without some type of just miraculous intervention to get him out of there, pass through their midst untouched. Why is it because Jesus is afraid of what they're about to do him? Not at all. Everything Jesus did was led by the providence of his Father, God. Even his birth, you know, it was in the fullness of time. God knew exactly when Christ was to be born into this world. He knew exactly when he was to die on the cross. He knew exactly when everything should happen. He knew exactly the day and the time when Jesus needed to enter that synagogue and to read that scroll of Isaiah that these people would fulfill the prophecy of rejecting him. God knows. So it's not time for Jesus' death. It's not time for him to suffer like this. So he's released to live another day. He's not released, but he, I mean, he, he is released by the Father to live another day so that he can be uh, the, become the fullness of the ministry that the Father has planned for him. Now, as, as we look at this, and I've been going on and on and on and missing my notes here, um, not looking down at my notes. So I, I wanted to share with you a little bit. Let's come back a little bit to this thought of, uh, of why Galilee? And I'm going to draw you a correlation between Galilee and where we're at today in our American society. Okay? I'm going to draw a correlation between Galilee and where we're at in our American society today, in just a minute. Now, it says here, this is, a, this is some of the writings of Josephus. And the, I told you earlier that he commented a lot on hi, the geography and the history and the recorded events, uh, that he's an extra-biblical source. Josephus was a Jewish historian who corroborates and proves out many facts of the New Testament, of Scripture. And he said this concerns, uh, concerning Galilee, the area of Galilee. He said, they were, they were ever fond of innovations and by nature disposed to changes and delighted in seditions. They were ever ready to follow a leader who would begin an insurrection. So we've he's painting this picture of these people. They're constantly surrounded by foreign influences. This is kind of the political hotbed area of Israel of the time. It, it, it is the place where the other, uh, what a false messiahs, false prophets, false messiahs. We know there have been many claimed to be the Messiah by this time. But they always ended in death and never were the Messiah. Many of them came from this Galilean area because this is an area where insurrection started a lot. Excuse me. We know that King Herod built a palace in the north, northern area over on the seaport um, because he needed to be close to, he needed a northern command post close to this area because this area was very politically uh, radical, if you will. And uh, it says here, another. there's an ancient proverb that, that is mentioned. 
from that day and time. Not a biblical proverb, but the, just a custom proverb in Israel. It said that it was easier to raise a le- it was easier to raise a legion of olive trees in Galilee than to, ra- to bring up one child in Judea. So, I mean, Galilee was this fertile land. It was fertile for olive trees. It was fertile because because of the lake and all around it. It was fertile for farming. It was fertile for crops. It was fertile for political dissent. Um, so it, it didn't quite have the same feel that Judea did. Judea was either Jerusalem and the hill country around it, or even the desert that Jesus had been tempted in. Judea was a, a very difficult place. Galilee was a very beautiful place, a very serene place, a, a, but yet politically dissident. dissonant. And, uh, and so into that time of political dissonance, uh, of, of insurrection, the Roman government's not popular, of course. Nobody wants to be governed by a foreign uh, power. The Jewish people had a lot of pride. They didn't like the fact that they were governed. But yet the Romans were reasonably good to them by letting them practice their, their religion, letting them have their own puppet king, if you will, in Herod. As long as they could keep the insurrections down and as long as they paid their taxes, the Romans let them do what they would do. But there were often result, revolts, and, and you know history is replete with that. And in a, the end of the story, of course, after Jesus' resurrection, after his ascension, after about 40 years of ministry of the church, trying to bring the gospel to uh, Israel and that all might be saved, we know God has the final word on these political radicals uh, by crushing them through the Roman army in the year 70 AD, 70, 70 AD. The Romans finally had enough of all the political insurrection, all the radicalness, and the Romans came in, and in the siege of Jerusalem, they tore down the temple. They, Not one stone was left upon another, exactly like Jesus prophesied. They desecrated the holy things of God, and they starved out the people, so that blood literally ran in the streets. I mean, again, Josephus is a historian that writes at length, very descriptively, about this time of the uh, the, the Roman uh, taking down of of the nation of Israel, and they they really completely squashed Judaism, and Israel as a nation was to be no more after seventy A.D. Until, of course, 1948. But that was a time when we saw the hand of God fulfilling uh, that radical time. And it took about 40 years, which biblically is often considered a generation. 40 years is, 40 is a very significant number. 40 years of the children in Israel in the desert wandering. 40 days of Jesus in the desert of temptation like we talked about. 40 years he gave them after... Uh, the Messiah stepped onto the scene uh, to the time of the the complete destruction of Israel and the temple. So uh, I, I told you I wanted to connect that. I think there's a message for us today. Not only in this Bible study do we want to really learn the scriptures, we want to learn how to apply them to our lives today. And I believe there's a lesson for us today. So I want to finish today's lesson kind of connecting those dots for you. We're living in 
Galilee. You and I, in Wichita, Kansas, and I know this is the Bible Belt, right? Uh, the most conservative part of the country, not really. Um, but we are, we meaning the whole of really Western, civil, Western Christian civilization, but certainly the United States of America. We are living in Galilee. We are living in such a pluralistic society. We are surrounded by foreign influences and foreign voices that want to change our way of life and our culture. We are surrounded by radical movements. And they're getting ear. They're getting, they're getting voice. They're getting uh, platforms. And, and I'm not saying, don't hear me saying that everything that America has ever done is great. We have a lot of darkness to our past and our history, from slavery to, to economic uh, oppression. I mean, we've done a lot of things wrong, but we've done a lot of things good, too. And a lot of the good in the world, in the modern world, the, lot, the good of science and medicine and, and uh, exploration and improvements in lifestyle, and all of it is, I believe, due to American freedom. The freedom of our system of government, the freedom of our system of enterprise. All of these things have allowed these kind of discoveries and inventions and things to flourish that have been used for the good of humanity all across the world. But nobody remembers that today. Everybody wants to remember just the bad things. The, the, the racism, the, the uh, slavery of the past, the economic uh, thievery and greed of the capitalistic system. And so everybody's these, everybody wants to be a radical today and wants to paint the picture, oh, socialism is better, and everything's better, you know, Marxism is better, everything's better. I don't want to get political with you today, but I do want you to hear, because I believe it's possible to be a socialist and be a Christian, and I believe it's possible for Christ, the Christian church to thrive in socialistic countries. I'm not saying it won't. Because it's possible for the Christian church to thrive anywhere, because it is the body of Christ. But what I am saying to you today is let's, Jesus, in, in a little while in the gospel, you're going to hear Jesus use a phrase over and over. And he's going to say it, um, just making sure, I, I don't think he said it in this passage this morning, but he'll say it over and over. He says, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. And my question to you today is, do you have ears to hear? Do you have ears to hear the scriptures from 2,000 years ago, and now history repeats itself, and we are, in many ways, Galilee of our time, ready to move with about any insurrection that comes along. Well, that's a scary thought to me, and wisdom needs to prevail, and uh, I believe this, the last chapter has not been written in our society and in our country, and I think it there is room for growth and improvement, and I believe prayer does change things. So I don't want you to pray for uh, one side of the political argument over the other side, because neither of them are particularly right. I want you to pray for the success of the gospel. I want you to pray that the church will wake up. These are difficult days for the church of Jesus Christ in America. I never dreamed I would be living through this time. I, I, this kind of rapid change in our whole society and culture, let alone our church. 
our churches. Where, where in some places we're being told we can't even meet. And in some places, and of course we're being mandated to wear masks and things like that. And, and I'm not even against that. Okay, I'm not preaching against that. Don't hear me say I'm preaching against that. We need to be smart. We need to be safe. We need to do what we need to do. Christians are to obey their government as long as it's not an immoral command. And that's scripture, book of Romans, chapter 13. Go read it. But I am saying, we need to wake up to the true power of the gospel. We need to wake up to the fact that the the Christian church in all of its luxury has not lived out the faith. And just like God didn't send the Messiah and the deliverers like Elijah and Elisha and people to the widows and the lepers in Israel, He may not send our deliverers to us either. Because they didn't deserve it. And the truth is, I don't think we deserve it either. So, I'm praying for revival. Brad Riley Ministries. I founded Brad Riley Ministries as a preaching and teaching organization, nonprofit organization, because I truly believe that in that in some small measure, I mean really small, small measure, God wants to use me to help bring revival to his church. And that's all churches. Protestant, Catholic, I don't care what they are. All churches need to be revived. And now's the time. Now's when the clarion call needs to go out. So he's called me to do. I'm trying to do it the best I can. I'm doing it now on video. Uh, in, in many ways, I got to tell you, I'm thankful for this, uh, this economic shutdown because it forced me to get on video where I can now talk to people all over the world. I, I wasn't doing that before. I was just wanting to get into local churches. I still want to get into local churches and hold conferences and seminars and things. And I, I know we're just not doing that just yet because of the shutdown, even though some churches are starting to meet again. And in God's providence, he's given me an opportunity to pastor a small church on a part-time basis that needs revival. And and that's what Brad Riley Ministries is about. I want to bring revival and renewal and spiritual renewal to that church. I want to bring it wherever God God will send me. So, there's an incredible correlation between Galilee of Jesus' day and the United States of America in our day. I see it. I feel it. I hope you see it. I hope you feel it. And I hope that you will pray for God's will to be done. And don't be so sure you know what that will is. The greatest prayer of the Lord's, the the very first request of the Lord's prayer isn't for the confession of sin and it isn't for the, the daily bread or any. It's thy will be done. That's the very first thing we're supposed to pray for. Let your will be done, O God. Let your will be done in our life, in our country, in our churches. And if we just keep praying for that will, instead of trying to tell God what we think that will is, He knows. We don't. So let's be obedient to the gospel. How do we do that? Love others. Let's let's be Jesus' hands and feet to bring release to the captives to bring hope to the the poor, good news to the poor, to, to bring the joy that should be part of the Christian experience. If we will start doing that, 
in, in ever greater measure, I think we will see the gospel flourish in America in our time. Well, I've kept you now. It's uh, almost up to the top of the hour. Thanks for joining me today in Bible study. We're going to continue. We're, we're going to get really into the meat of Luke's gospel now. Chapter 4, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and we're just going to go all the way through. So uh, next week we're going to look at some more miracles of Jesus as he goes back to Capernaum from Nazareth. Uh, and, and we're just going to just get deeper and deeper into the life of the gospel. Because the life Jesus lived, the life of the gospel, is the gospel life we are supposed to be living. Not just believing in it, but living it. So, let's pray about that. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for those who are listening today. Thank you for those who will ever listen to this broadcast. Whenever that is. I thank you for... I pray that I thank you for them and I pray that you would reach them with the heart of the gospel message not my words but your words. I am only your servant trying to pass along what I feel your holy spirit is relaying to me and wants to relay through me. So teach us O Lord your ways and help us to walk in them. Bless those that are listening now and those that ever will in the holy name of Jesus who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever and unto the ages of ages. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining me. I'll see you next week.